Hello and welcome back to the University of Roehampton podcast. My name's Dan Brown. I'm a former student and now member of the communications team here at the university. Today's episode, we will be exploring the May Day ceremony taking place on Whitelands College, as well as finding out some information about one of our members of staff taking part in the London Marathon this weekend. I'll introduce my two guests joining me today. So we have current head of Froebel College and acting head of Whitelands College, as well as senior lecturer in the School of Psychology, Simon Dorman. Welcome, Simon, to the Roehampton podcast. Thank you, Dan. Good to be here. Also joining us in the studio, we have the 141st May Queen of Whitelands College, as well as third year therapeutic psychology student, Treya Lufu. Treya, welcome to the Roehampton podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Now, how are you both? We're in the kind of spring term here at Roehampton. We're, we're still waiting on the weather uh, to quite reflect that. But um, how's the semester going so far for you both? Simon, I'll come to you first. Well, going well so far. Um, I've got multiple roles at the university, so I'm waiting on my students to get their projects finished, their third year projects finished, and uh, the usual sort of marking and submissions of coursework. So yeah, things going well and uh, looking forward to a hot, well, maybe not hot, but certainly a warm <laughs> warm summer semester. Good stuff. Uh, and of course, we'll come to your, your marathon preparation in a second. Uh, Treya, third year of university, uh, the final stretch. Um, how is that going? It's like, it's going. Um, Luckily, I've managed to not fall behind on any of my uni work, but I'm not ahead on it either, which is fine. And I'm happy about that. Like, I feel like content with where I am. (laughs) I think, yeah, that's a good good space to be in. And in terms of the May Day uh, celebrations, um, what is the the date for that that it'll be on campus? Saturday, the 13th of May. Saturday, the 13th of May. Okay. We'll uh, we'll leave uh, details in the description below uh, for the ceremony itself. Um, but Simon, let's talk about the London Marathon. Now, mm. is this your first marathon? It's not. So I've, I've been running for quite a few years now, about 15 years. And in that time, I've done uh, about two or three half marathons. And I actually have been in the, the one and only marathon I've done so far was the London Marathon in 2017. So I'm now, for the benefit of the uh, listeners, I'm now holding proudly my my finisher's medal for um, the uh, the London Marathon 2017. So everybody gets one of these big chunky bronze medals. So yeah, it's not my it's not my first rodeo, so to say. It's uh, it's my second full marathon, and uh, the first one I've done in six years. Okay. So prior to 2017, what was your experience running before that? Were you were you a seasoned runner? Were you running? 5Ks, 10Ks, Yeah, like I was, I've been a keen runner for about sort of 15, 20 years. And I have to say it's primarily about fitness for me and just making sure that I don't have a heart attack <laughs> <laughs> in the next few years. So I'm not really an athletic runner or a competitive runner. Um, I, I did do various runs, um, sort of organized runs like races, uh, mainly the 10K, 10K distance. And that was that was mainly just to kind of have a focus for your training and just enter something. And, you know, maybe my friends were doing it too, and it was a, a chance to raise some money. Um, so, so yeah, so before my first London Marathon, I was mainly a sort of casual fitness runner. Um, ran about, I would say 10K was my maximum distance for the races that I ran at, at that time. 
And how did it compare sort of jumping up from that 10K mark to a marathon sort of 42K, is 42 that right? 42 kilometers, 26 miles, yeah. <laughs> um, it was a big jump. <laughs> so um, as you imagine, going from 10K and, and quadrupling that distance, it was a really big stretch. And uh, it was, without a doubt, the most physically demanding thing I've, I've ever done. And uh, yeah, really, really big leap. And um just I'm okay to around about I would say about the 20 mile mark I'm sort of okay 15 miles I'm doing okay 20 miles I'm starting to struggle those last six miles are the killer you know they they, they really are the, the, the sort of the pain moment where you're just putting one foot in front of the other and <laughs> sort of cursing why you ever entered this thing in the first place because that that mentality of I've I've made it this far I've got to just yeah I'm not going to get close to this again for a while um is definitely something that that comes in, I guess, in that that last bit. Absolutely, yeah. It's um, it, it is it, it, you you are struggling, and and luckily there's loads of people on the on the route sort of cheering you on, so you do get a bit of a, a psychological push towards the end. But no, it was that moment. I remember the last marathon I did, the London Marathon, 2017. I I, I got to about the sort of 22 mark, and I was thinking, why did I do this? It was sort of a moment of of regret and wondering why, you know. And then you just you do actually recover a little bit. I think you just just need a sort of a bit of a pause moment, and then sure. you you go for that final push. But uh, yeah, in terms of your uh, so obviously you're you're a senior lecturer in psychology here. Um, there's a lot of psychological kind of elements to running and and the mental approach to running. Yes. Um, have you been able to apply anything that you perhaps teach? Uh, in the lecture hall um, to your your running uh, training, I guess? Um, Maybe not the things I teach directly, but I have been looking into the psychology of running and and I have been reading articles about getting that right mindset and, you know, how to push yourself for those those final few miles and there's there's lots of research which shows that if you distract yourself somehow, you can kind of push through that moment of maximum mm-hmm. maximum sort of effort and, and and maximum exhaustion to get to those those final few miles so what i found is um i've started to distract myself using music so during my marathon training um one of the longest runs i do is around about 20 miles which takes about three hours for me i'm not a very fast runner and so three hours is a, a long time. You know, if you imagine just sitting in a chair for three hours, it's a long time. So just running for three hours, it's it, it can be a bit of a uh, a bit of a sort of a, a, an empty space. You know, mentally when you're when you're just putting one foot in front of the other. So I, I initially started playing music, and that was that was okay. But I found actually listening to podcasts, much like this one, oh, really? is actually okay. yeah, interestingly, it's actually and, and self-referentially, it is the most interesting way to distract yourself because i think you actually music you kind of tune out after a while but but with a podcast you're actually engaging with the subject matter and listening to the you know the interesting stories and the facts and thinking about what's going on so i've actually found listening to um factual podcasts about science and just anything that can get my brain thinking and distracting myself is is the best way most recently i've been listening to alan partridge's um a, a sort of audio book um, <laughs> about him walking i think it's called travels with my father 
other or something. Yes. I think the book is called Nomad. Um, so yeah, it's sort of been very funny. I've actually been laughing as I've been running, listening to Alan Partridge's musings about his his father and his walk. And obviously it has a sort of thematic link with the fact that I'm running and he's walking. So it's yes. interesting. I'm sort of effectively running along with Alan Partridge. And Partridge, of course, is a, a keen a keen runner himself he in was. the I'm Alan Partridge series <laughs> one. Um, hopefully your outfit is slightly different Indeed. to what Alan chose uh, to I've wear. I've got uh, very robust shorts. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, the lining has not perished uh, as Partridge uh, experienced. Um, Treya, have, have, have you had much experience running? Um, how, how do you feel about Simon's uh, ventures in the marathon? And uh, is there any link between um, your work as the May Monarch and Simon's running? There's three questions there, <laughs> a hat trick of questions for you to uh, tuck into. Um, I have run a 10k before. Yep. Never again. Running is not good for my knees. Uh, but it was a good experience. Um, I think I was 17 when I did it. So even though I was very slow, I won the, um, under 18s, like women like thing for, but I don't know if there were any other under 18s running (laughs) um, who were women. So, um, but yeah, no, it was it was an experience, and yeah. I'm glad I've done it. Um, and I am really grateful that Simon has chosen to raise money for one of my chosen charities. Yeah, let's um, talk about that. So, yeah. which charity is it that you you guys are raising money for? He's going to be raising money for the NSPCC. In terms of going about uh, donating to that or sponsoring you um, for the marathon you have a link i believe um, which we are going to include uh, in the description uh, here on spotify um, but you may also be accessing this via the roehampton blog um, by which hopefully you've already uh, clicked on the link and, and made your donation i hope um, so to the cause um, but just tell us about that it's quite interesting you applied to the ballot this year is that right how does how does that work for the london marathon how do you get a place in the london marathon how does the charity attachment part work yes yeah, it's, it's actually very interesting dan because maybe the listeners don't know that when you apply to run in the london marathon you, you you can apply via a ballot so you can get a place just by applying but the chances of you getting a place via the ballot because london is one of the biggest marathons in the world and it has thousands and thousands of applicants who want to run so you you apply for the ballot but you tend just to assume that you're not going to get through it's like winning the lottery basically there's only a four percent chance of actually getting a ballot place right. and and for the other 96 percent um much as i did last year when uh, no last time when i ran the marathon in 2017 you actually have to link up with the charity and they give you a place so i actually ran for a for the a cancer charity in 2017 and effectively i fundraise for them and they in exchange give me a, a place in the marathon and i have to reach a target so normally most people would run on behalf of a charity i got very very lucky i, I effectively won the lottery this year and i was one of the lucky four percent who got a, a place so this means that i'm effectively freelance freelancing i don't actually have a charity to to to, 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 to fundraise for officially which is why i chose and, and and asked the university if i could run on the 
on behalf of Roehampton University. So I've got officially branded Roehampton uh, gear and I wanted to raise money for um, the, the the college I'm currently involved in, Whitelands, and, and for Treyer's uh, um, endeavours in fundraising. So I thought it was a great way of putting Roehampton out there on the marathon day and uh, also helping to support uh, Treyer as well and uh, raise some money for the NSPCC. Amazing. Great connection between the two. Um, let's talk then about uh, the May Day ceremony that takes place at Roehampton uh, and your experience as the 141st May Queen. Uh, this would have been last May. Uh, tell us a little bit about the day itself, your memories. Um, how was it as an experience and was it something that you had expected to do prior to coming to Roehampton and becoming a student here? I had no idea about May Day until last year. Like until because I was flat rep last year, so I was a bit more involved in the college. The president of Whitelands, Jay, he suggested strongly suggested <laughs> <laughs> that I put my name forwards to be the next May monarch. Um, and I was very cautious about it because I knew I was going into my third year. The whole team were like very adamant of like you need to put your uni work first mm -hmm. and then your role as may queen comes afterwards yeah so the day it was a lovely sunny day which yep. is so nice so we were lovely. able to like do everything outside there was maypole dancing there was i think a burger sand and like a bouncy castle and this year there's going to be so much more and i know because i have no short-term memory i remember feeling very anxious that okay. i would like enter in at the wrong time and I did I mean, and you did <laughs> and I did <laughs> you manifested and um, <laughs> Steve who is the our college Cluedo was like stop stop wait a minute <laughs> wait for them to come down and then I would and I was like okay um, but it was lovely yeah so the, the day itself as well like um, as the May Queen like when does that day start Are you, is it is it in my head, I'm thinking, is it similar to like a wedding day, like where you're up super early, getting ready, getting prepared, there's a team around you. Um, is, is it like that? What time did the day start? Like what time did the day finish? Yeah, it starts super early. It is basically like a wedding. Um, when I got the role, Simon said, no, um, sorry, <laughs> uh, Steve said that you are basically marrying the college. Okay. And I, I was like, wait, what? I didn't sign up for this. Um, so it is basically like a wedding. So then I got my dress and then I went into one of the rooms um, at Whitelands and I started to get ready and stuff. Um, but it was a very long day. Um, and yeah, it was it was lovely. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic location as well for an event like this. Um, those of you listening who perhaps are joining us in September or you may be a student on Southlands, Digby or Froebel and, and haven't yet ventured to Whitelands. Um, Whitelands Field or, or the back of Parkstead House overlooks um, Richmond Park Golf Course and, and Richmond Park itself. Um, and I think it, it's a big shout, but it's probably my favorite spot on all of our campus, which is really saying something because we have a fantastic, beautiful campus. All, all four uh, colleges have um, their unique um, selling points in terms of the grounds. But yeah, there at Whitelands is so special. Um, and to have an event like this every year, every May, um, 
is fantastic in terms of Whitelands it, it, itself. Um, I'm going to come to you first, Simon, with this. What is it that? What's your favourite thing about Whitelands as a college, and and why would you um, encourage students from Southlands, from uh, Digby, and from Froebel uh, to venture up Roehampton Lane, just slightly into Danebury Avenue, and then on to um, Whitelands? What would be your main uh, selling points for the college? Well, I think you, you hit the nail on the head already, Dan. It is a beautiful location, and the campus is is wonderful. And uh, especially when you go to the Set Bar, which is uh, second floor, um, you can look over Richmond Park, like you mentioned. Um, it's like you're in the countryside, isn't it, Trey? You you really can't. It's almost like you're out of London. And I think that's one of the strengths of Roehampton's campus university uh, across all of our colleges. It's like being somewhere else. You know, you don't feel like you're part of urban London. You feel like you've come to somewhere very peaceful and very special. So. Whitelands, yeah, it's it's a beautiful building, a beautiful location, and when it comes to things like the May the May Day, it is really nice to be part of such a historic building with so many nice surroundings and the buildings are just looking beautiful. So yeah, so do if you haven't been to visit um, or if you're contemplating coming to Roehampton, do go and visit uh, visit Whitelands College and Parkstead House, which is the building that is the the main component of uh, of Whitelands College. So it, it is a wonderful building and a wonderful campus. And then, Treya, what would be your favourite things about Whitelands? Um, in Parkstead House, um, the ceilings are so gorgeous. I love, like, which I know I shouldn't be, but in lectures, I just look up at them <laughs> and I'm like, they look so nice. Um, and then also with the set bar, if you are there, like, early enough in the morning or in the evening, like, the sunrise or sunset is stunning. Yeah. Um and the greenery. That was one of the main reasons why I chose this uni was because it didn't feel like you're in London. <laughs> it re- that I mean, it's so true though. It doesn't, you can lose yourself. I mean, Richmond Park, I think, has a lot of that quality as well. Like if you go for, far enough into Richmond Park, in every direction you look, the horizon is just nature uh, and wildlife. And that is such a huge benefit to, I mean, particularly I, I find, you know, um, it's a great benefit to my mental health just to get out into nature. And I think, um, yeah, Whitelands is just so close and you get that view of Richmond park and then you spin around 180 and you get the view of, of Parkstead house itself. And like you say, the sets and some of the more modern buildings, um, on the college, I think it's, uh, it's a really wonderful spot and, um, we look forward to seeing it hopefully in the sunshine yes. on May the 13th. All fingers crossed for a nice weather <laughs> on the day, I think. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So, Trey, to come back to you on the uh, May Day ceremony itself and being the 141st, there's presumably 140 before you, um, that is an incredible history. Um, mm. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, of course. Um, so, John Ruskin created May Day in 1881. Um, and he asked that um, it was a student's vote and that the students would vote like the most likable and loveliest person to be <laughs> at the time yeah. the May Queen. Um, and the Whitelands College is the first um, college like uni who would admit women in the UK for um, a teaching degree. Um, and they weren't allowed men on campus overnight. Um, and they had a very, very strict curfew. 
Um, so at the start, there were only May Queens. Um, but as the college became integrated, it changed to May Monarchs so that any gender would be able to run for the role. Um, <clears throat> and when it first started, the... Um, the costumes that yeah. it is called were made by this textile students. Uh-huh. And the May Queens didn't know who won until the day of May Day. And then it was announced and then they would see their dress for the first time. Okay. Um, which is really amazing. <laughs> and, and does that still, how does that work now? Now um, you get to go and choose what you are going you to wear. Yeah. So, which yeah, I'm fa- grateful for. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's quite a scary um, concept, isn't it? it Just is. to be like, okay, and, and here's a dress. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wonder how they got it all fitted and everything but, on the dates. Um, they've said that... Um, all the people who went running for the role would be measured. Oh, okay. And then the textile students would make their yeah. costume. I guess, yeah, I don't know what the, the, the time turnaround is for sort of adjustments to a dress, but it's probably yeah. fairly lengthy process, I would think, for something like this where it's it's a real sort of showpiece mm-hmm. um, dress or, or, or costume, as, as you said. Um in terms of the university archive on Whitelands, have you have you either of you had a chance to visit the archive at all, or been lucky enough to get inside the archive? The only reason I'm making this point is there is, uh, I think, I'm not sure if it's every single year, but we have uh, sort of bank of dresses worn by the former um, May monarchs, so that might be something um, that we could explore um on the university uh social media accounts we'll look to get um a photo of that up on the day of may day so there we go there's a reason to follow uni underscore rahampton on instagram um but also just to go back to the archive as well uh, and you mentioned john ruskin as the founder um of uh, this particular May Day celebration in the archive, there is a sketch um, that was shown to me by the the archivist um, of the British Isles, and it is unbelievable. It's hand drawn, um, but it's so accurate, so detailed, and it's drawn by Ruskin himself. Um, but the extra bit of information that blew my mind is he drew it when he was six years old. Wow! <laughs> um, and again, we'll we'll endeavour to get uh, a photo of that on uh, May thirteenth up on the university uh, Instagram uh, on the Instagram story, so you can look forward to seeing that. But yeah, it just the guy was so so incredibly talented um and we've already mentioned alan partridge but he's also mentioned in in the the final season of peep show they mentioned john ruskin um as uh as someone uh who's mark corrigan's reading a a book about uh john ruskin but um yeah incredibly talented um is the word polyglot if you're good at multiple things Uh, right I think polyglot means or is that multiple language? languages. So polymath. polymath. Yeah. Polymath, yeah. So I think Ruskin was a polymath uh, there. Um, Treya, you have other charities, I believe, that yes. are part of your um, fundraising efforts this year. Which charities in particular are you raising money for? 
I am raising money for the British Dyslexia Association because I am dyslexic <laughs> and I know like how hard it can be mm-hmm. with the learning difficulty and the charity um, empowers and builds resilience in those struggling with dyslexia. Um, and then I'm raising money for the African Rainbow Charity um, and they support black, Asian and um, ethnic majority groups who are refugees seeking asylum due to being targeted for being part of the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, and they do um, empowerment activities for confidence um, and community events so that folk feel less alone. If you don't mind, we'll, we'll touch back on the dyslexic charity and, and the work you're doing for that. In terms of your own experience with uh, dyslexia, how, how has that impacted your studies? What sort of support have you had? I mean, this is me. Just, I'm genuinely um, interested in this. Um, it's been really hard. Um, it was a really big jump from A-levels to uni because um, I also took a gap year as well. Um, but I had just managed to become a lot more independent in my A-level work. Um, and then when I came to uni... I was like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. I don't know why I'm here. Like, I don't belong here, but I've survived. (laughs) I'm nearly at the end. Um, But um, the disabilities and um, dyslexia, like, department have been very helpful. And I've had a study skills tutor throughout um, the whole, um, my three years. Um, And then I've also had support from family and stuff as well. And when was it that um, I know it's not always diagnosed as early as it should be? Um, when when was it that you kind of were diagnosed with? I was dyslexia? diagnosed at 16 and we okay. had to go private. So we had to get a grant to be able to afford it. Okay. Um, but the school did do an internal test for me and they like they said like, oh, you have receptive processing issues which is, yes, I do. It's just a part of the dyslexia. Um, And when I was diagnosed, the lady told my mom, I don't get how she can read. She should not be able to read because of the severity of her dyslexia. Um, So I guess there are, for me, maybe some pros and cons of being diagnosed so later on in life, because if I was diagnosed when I was younger... I could have easily used that as an excuse not to read and be like, I'm dyslexic, I can't read. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Simon, to come back to the marathon, uh, some light relief there with Mayday, uh, <laughs> Mayday talk, but to come back to uh, running the marathon, um, what will your day look like on Sunday or even in the, in the days leading up to that? Um, so, basically, for the last couple of weeks, I've... I've I've been in what's known as taper, which means that you finish the hardcore training aspect and you're now just letting your body recover a little bit ahead of the run. So my my distances have dropped dramatically and I'm not doing as much fitness wise. So the idea is you're just doing like little runs to keep your muscles going, but really you're all about recovering, ready for Sunday, this Sunday. Um, from Friday, so in a couple of days' time, I'm going to start what's known as carbo-loading. So that means um, I have to eat lots of pasta and rice and 
porridge okay. for two days solid. <laughs> it's a marathon in its own right. Um, try and avoid protein. So basically, the, the idea is that all the calories I take in will be based on carbohydrates rather than protein. And the reason why you do that is you're supposed to be building up your glycogen stores inside yeah. your muscles to make sure that you don't exhaust yourself on the day. So it's just like a way of trying to get a little bit more of an edge on the day to make sure you can complete the whole run. Um, <clears throat> so... So that's um, sort of the couple of days leading up. So on the day, it's really interesting. I have to you know, get my stuff together, have another final bowl of porridge, <laughs> and, and then uh, get on the train and get myself all the way over to, to Greenwich, where the start so it starts in Greenwich Park. And uh, it's really interesting because we, we're, you know, all the runners in London, obviously you can imagine there's just thousands and thousands of us. I think there's about 40 to 50,000 running on the day. So every train you go on, every tube you're on it's just full of people in their running gear is it's quite a there's quite a nice camaraderie yeah. as you can imagine because we're all doing the same thing we've all, we've all been through the training so there's like a time to sort of have a chat and compare strategies and you know see what your targets are for the day so it's actually a really nice it, it breaks that london taboo of talking to people on a on, on, on public transport where people are actually really happy to to talk to each other probably to settle their nerves more than anything else yes. i think it's just nice to sort of see people who are you know doing a common thing and and uh you know working together for the same for the same cause so you arrive at uh at greenwich um and you all get put into boxes so how they organize all the runners is you you have a suggested finish time so you you tell them what your target time is a few weeks in advance and then you get put in a box with runners of a similar time so i think that's a way of making sure that the fast runners don't get clogged up with slower runners in front of them so we're all placed in a particular order and um, after about sort of an hour and a half of making sure you're in the right place and just you know doing your last minute prep and maybe eating a banana or something before you head to the the, the start line you all assemble in your timing box there's uh, there's a warm-up period they give you a, a, a little warm-up exercise to do before you're ready to go the atmosphere is fantastic it's like being part of a carnival so yeah. it's um it's actually really really fun to be there um so yes you've got the the long run ahead but it is like running through a festival really um and, and being london you're you're running past cutty sark you're running past over tower bridge which is roughly the halfway points so that's quite mm -hmm. a, a, a literally a figuratively and, and literally a landmark on the on the the race so yeah so really really exciting day pubs are open on the route they've got usually got bands outside or a dj playing so yeah it's like running through a festival i used to run with uh i, I was in my first marathon planning to run with my earphones in listening to, to music on the route but within the space of 10 minutes i just took out my earphones and packed away my uh my mp3 player because you just want to hear the crowd you want to wow. hear the atmosphere and just feel a part of it rather than insulating yourself from it you yeah. listen to music you just want to be a part of it so this year i'm gonna i'm just not gonna bother bringing bringing anything uh, music wise or podcast wise i'm gonna just be part of the day and uh you know listen to the crowds listen to the bands listen to the music and, and sort of try and enjoy it as best i can until I get to 20 miles when I will suffer. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Are you, yeah, is that a wise choice? I mean, I guess that's the the great thing about having that experience of of, of having done it before. Yeah, and that's that's interesting in its own right because the first time I did it, I didn't know whether I'd be able to finish or not. Sure. So, so the first time I did a marathon, it's like, I was basically in survival mode, you know, can I, all I cared about was finishing. It wasn't really about timing or, you know, competitiveness or, you know, trying to beat a, a personal best. This time I know I can finish or, well, you know, barring any 
emergencies. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really here just to improve upon my time a little bit if I can and, 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 and just sort of do the day and enjoy it as best I can. Yeah, how much does the time matter to you externally between us <laughs> <laughs> it's it, i think it matters because i'd like to see some progress i'm not a very fast runner so i did the last the last marathon ran about i think it was four hours 37 and i'm hoping to get closer to the four hour mark this time so maybe four hours four hours 10 so i'd like to cut off about half an hour from my previous time um not sure why I want to do that. I think it's yeah. just a sign of progress and that I've perhaps done better in my training this time and just a way of perhaps showing that even though I'm six years older, I'm, I've still got it. I've still yeah. got it down. <laughs> perhaps I never had it to begin with, but I like yeah. to think I've still got it now. Yeah. So, yeah. You, of course, have a uh, a Dachshund. I do. Uh, does, Tilly. does Tilly the Dachshund get to join you on any of your training no she doesn't dan because even though she actually walks a long distance i think if i ran along with her for 26 miles her her already tiny little legs will be worn to two little nubs <laughs> of approximately one inch long each so yeah. yeah no i don't think it's advisable to to, to bring my dachshund along as much as i'd, I'd love her company on the yeah. run but uh, will she be at the finish line at all when she you, won't when we, we i did think about that and i've got some friends coming to support me so we thought about maybe bringing uh, tilly along but um i think given the crowd and it's given the lot, noise, it? it's yeah, it's probably safer just to keep her at home. So we're going to keep her at home, and then uh, I think my friends are going to come back to to grab her when we go Brilliant. to the the pub at the end for a well earned couple of pints and a, yeah. a Sunday roast. How much does it, that as well? The pints, the roast, the the thought of just you know elation at the end. Do you use that as well to you know? Is that at the moment? Is that something that you can use to you know envisage and manifest and get there? get there to the end is it? yeah yeah i mean it's just nice to know that at the end you're going to see your friends mm. i think it's also that moment knowing that you've spent i've spent about 20 weeks training on the marathon so that's three runs a week plus two days a week of cross training at the, at the gym sort of on a static cycle or a rowing machine so it feels like after 20 weeks everything's culminating in those four hours everything's culminating in that moment and so it's almost like it's, it's almost like I've been rehearsing for 20 weeks for a theatrical performance, really. And then <laughs> when it's over, it is over and I can relax a bit more. I'm going to obviously dial down the training, try and recover a bit. So, yeah, it does represent sort of that moment of finality. And and uh, obviously, again, the whole of London's buzzing on the day. So usually you go into a pub and there's, you know, you can spot sort of seven other runners there at least, you know. So, again, it's just nice to be part of the day and grabbing a, a couple of pints and, you know, uh, being with your friends at the end. And my final question on uh, on marathons is, London Marathon aside, um, if you could run any other marathon in the world, um, which marathon would you choose to run? Very good question, Dan. So um, Valencia is just a beautiful city, and that's a very famous marathon because it's very flat, and I like, I like the idea of a nice yeah. flat marathon. London's pretty flat, but Valencia's flatter apparently so you can get a lot of people getting their personal bests at Valencia and it's beautiful city beautiful weather um I would say though that the marathon I'm most keen to do is there's one in France where I think every mile or every couple of miles you can stop for cheese and a glass of wine 
and it's this is a very famous marathon in its own right that, that has a name which escapes me but the idea is that you run and also have all this wonderful french produce <laughs> as you run and that sounds that's that sounds yeah. ideal to me so yeah obviously you're not running for a fast time there um and you're probably getting very wobbly towards the end i'm guessing in yes. terms of your directional ability but uh, yeah but that sounds like a brilliant marathon to do to just you know have wonderful french cheese and and, and wine and stuff yeah. on the way I think so. And and how much respect do you have for people that run sort of ultra marathons and these They're bonkers. Yeah, they these hundred K races. Yeah. And... Um I do not know how they do it. I can only just do the marathon and that for yeah. me is a physical stretch, you know, really ultimate physical stretch. So how people can extend that from forty two kilometers to a hundred and beyond. And sometimes they do it in the desert, you know, in sort of forty degree heat. They they truly are superhuman. Uh, it's nothing I could contemplate doing. I have seen the end of a, an ultra marathon and I have to say that they're, they're not looking in, in great shape towards the end of the hundred. They are they are in agony. They obviously yeah. are pushing themselves to the absolute physical limit of their joints and their muscles. And yeah, it really is an astonishing achievement. Excellent. Uh, Treya, if people want to follow your progress uh, as the May Queen, uh, how can they do that? They can follow me on Instagram at whitelands.may.monarch. Brilliant. Uh, we will leave a link for that as well uh, in the description below here, and it will also be available on blog.rohampton.ac.uk. Well, that brings to a close this special episode of the Roehampton podcast. Simon and Treya, thank you so much for joining us here today. Simon, we wish you the best of luck thank in the marathon uh, this weekend, uh, and hopefully we'll catch up with you uh, post-marathon uh, and get some of your thoughts on how it went. And Treya, Thank you so much for joining us. Good luck with organizing uh, the May celebrations this year. Um, and guys, we will see you all on the next episode. Bye-bye.